Well, church, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's where we're going to be in just a few minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to wrap up a brief two-week series. We're entitling The Cheerful Giver and talking about that thing called money and finances and possessions and all the stuff like that. So hopefully it's been a challenge and encouraging to you. We'll get to 2 Corinthians in just a minute. Let me, let me first just say a quick word about impact. I want to say a huge thank you really to you as a church for being the kind of church that even allows us to host something like this. Uh, thank you for your willingness to serve. Thank you for your willingness to be inconvenienced. Our schedule changes. Thank you for uh, your willingness to host students into your home. Uh, my family has been a host home before for Impact. It's a great adventure. You don't know what it's going to be like. You'll be out of food by the time the weekend's over. That's great. A couple years ago when we hosted a, a group of students, I came up my driveway Saturday morning, there had been some students there, and there were literally bed pillows hanging out the second floor window all over my house. I don't know why. don't know what they were doing. I think some of the culprits are in this room right now, but that's okay. But uh, thank you for being a generous church and allowing us to invest in our community and other churches and the next generation. Looking forward to an incredible week together. So thank you. Uh, the Cheerful Giver. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning, and we're going to be to our text in just a second. But I want to begin uh, with really an illustration that helped me this week. I came across something I was reading this week and thought it really helped us to get a mental picture of our possessions and things that we've been entrusted with. So here's the question for you. You've probably never wondered this in your life until this morning, but do you know how to catch a wild monkey in the jungle? Nobody knows. Awesome. Now you're going to know. Here's what trappers have learned. And I read this this week. I've seen this on TV. Here's what trappers and natives have learned of how you can catch a wild monkey in the jungle. A trapper will bring in a, a cage and they'll sit down this cage in the middle of the jungle and they actually close the door, lock it. And inside the cage, they'll put something like a piece of fruit or a banana, or peanuts, or something like that, that a monkey really likes. So, and they'll just sit there in the middle of the jungle. This monkey will be passing through the jungle, past this cage, smell something they really like. They'll reach their hand inside that cage, and they'll grab that piece of fruit, that apple, banana, whatever it is. And then when they go to pull that piece of fruit out of the cage, guess what? The bars are so tight, they can't get their clenched fist outside of the cage. So you're thinking, okay, stupid monkey, just let go of the banana, right? But these trappers have learned that that monkey, once it gets something in its grasp, once it gets something it really, really likes in its hands, it's completely unwilling to let go. To the point that the trapper, all the trapper has to do is show up, get a club, and you know, kind of bonk the monkey over the head. Because the monkey's going to be standing right there, clenched fist, entrapped by what it's holding in its hand. Now here's the lesson to that. Incredibly insightful for you and me. The trapper did not catch the monkey. The monkey was entrapped and captured by its own unwillingness to let go of what was in its hand. Furthermore, the monkey became entrapped by what it held onto so tightly. Now that's kind of a silly illustration, but that's an illustration of your heart and my heart. We're the monkey. 
Now, Proverbs says it like this. Proverbs 11 says there's two ways to live when it comes to your money and your possessions. Proverbs 11 says there's one who scatters, yet increases all the more. There's one who, who lives open-handed. God, whatever you put in my hand, I'm going to hold it out here on my fingertips. I'm going to live like this. I'm going to live generously. And the Bible says they increase all the more. There is one who withholds, lives like this. Or in the case of the monkey, lives like this. You know a lot of people that this is the way we approach our possessions. Mine! The Bible says there's one who withholds what is justly due. And what's this? It results only in want. God's economy is not the same. We think the way we gain and increase is to hold tightly onto what we have. It's not what the Bible teaches. 11.25 says, the generous man, generosity means literally to hold on your fingertips, the generous man will be prosperous. God's economy works different, and he who waters will himself be watered. So this morning, we're going to continue with that kind of image in mind. How are you living how am I living with my possessions? Two ways to live. I can live like this, generously, on my fingertips. God says, the generous man, you continue to prosper. Or we can live like this, mine. More. Whatever I get, I'm going to hold tightly. I'm going to hold even more. The Bible says it results even in greater want. So last week, we began a series, a couple-week series, and we looked at what the Bible has to say about money and possessions. Here's the reality for you and me. Every one of us spent a whole lot of time either making money, we spent a whole lot of time spending money, or we spent a whole lot of time worrying about money, right? So the Bible has a lot to say about the whole idea of money and possessions. One quarter of what Jesus says in the gospel has to do with money and possessions. It can be an area of our life of great freedom, great joy, great blessing, or it can be an area of our life, and I know I'm speaking to some people in this room right now who are living there, that you are entrapped and you're enslaved. And it's resulting in only want. And you're falling into the trap of many others. Listen, in our Western commercialized society, here's what it's going to take to make me happy. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. So Jesus taught us a whole lot last week from his word about this whole idea of money and possessions. Just for review, just some things we learned last week very quickly. It helps the biblical principle that God owns everything. It's very freeing to realize I'm not really an owner. I'm a manager. I'm a steward. Everything I have belongs to God. I'm managing it for His purposes. God, it's all yours. You want to give me more? Great. You want to take it away? Great. You want me to give it? Great. Lord, it's yours and I'm managing it. God owns everything. We saw last week also that Scripture does not forbid money. Scripture does not say money in and of itself is evil. Money in and of itself is ultimately good. That's not the point of the Bible. Here's what the Bible does say. The Bible challenges and warns us very carefully to not love money. To not trust money. To not lean and depend on money. Uh, Paul says, 1 Timothy 6, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare. Just like that monkey. Those who want more. Those who want to hold so tightly to what they have. It can become a snare. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil things. Some of you are wrestling with some really difficult heart issues, maybe even in your own life and family. It might be that it could be traced back to a money heart issue. The Bible has much to say about this. Jesus said money is a major competitor for our heart. 
Jesus was so clear, Matthew chapter 6. Your heart cannot serve two masters. We do not have the capacity to serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. And then the Bible goes on and gives us a great answer when we talk about managing, when we talk about keeping the right perspective, when we talk about money not becoming our God or our idol, the Bible teaches God's antidote against greed is something called cheerful giving. Cheerful giving. Jesus said it this way, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Moth and rust are going to eat them anyway. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where nothing can take it away. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, For you and for me and for us, we know that this thing called giving is a gift that God has given us to guide our heart. I can know a whole lot about you and know the condition and know the focus of your heart and your energy and your efforts right now, even your affections, and you could me by knowing where I spend most of my money, by knowing where the direction of most of my resources go. Jesus says, listen, you've got to know something about your heart. Where your treasure goes, your heart will follow. Giving, generous giving to the work of the Lord is a way to keep our heart focused in the right place. A way to keep money from becoming our idol. A way to store up treasure that is eternal in heaven. So, what does the Bible say about this thing called cheerful giving? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what we're going to look at. Last week, we looked at a picture of a church that modeled it. This week, Paul's going to get very specific. He's going to give us the promise of giving. And then we're going to look at the very practical practice of giving in our lives. What does it look like? What does it look like in my life? What is it looking like in your life as followers of Christ and part of the local New Testament church? All right. So 2 Corinthians 9, I'm going to read a few verses here. Paul's writing to a church and he's teaching them about giving. He's come to this church and he said there's huge needs, there's opportunities to give. The saints, the other believers, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, he said, they're poor, they're needy. I'm going to go to all the churches, I'm going to take up a collection, we're going to take it up on a weekly basis, and I want you to give generously. And Paul says, now, let me just teach you about generous giving. And listen, for you and for me, now 2,000 years later, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 give us the best biblical New Testament guide for this whole thing called giving. And that's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time this morning. So 2 Corinthians 9 1 says this. Paul writes, Church at Corinth, he says, Now it's superfluous for me, or really it's not even necessary, for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. He says, I don't even have to write to you, but like a good pastor or preacher, he says, but I'm going to anyway. So he writes the next few chapters about this thing called giving, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully is going to reap bountifully. Now, I want to stop right here for just a second. Many of you have read this. Some of you have this memorized. If, you, if you've been in church any amount of time and you've grown up in church, you're going to read this with a certain maybe even catch in your spirit. And, and you, you get a little nervous when somebody talks about giving because you're waiting for the hammer to come down when the Bible says you better give. Here's what you ought to give. And if you don't give this way, you're ungodly. That's not what Paul's going to do here at all. What Paul's going to do is he's going to outline the promises that God makes to you and to me as believers about this grace called giving. And if we can get our mind around the promises of God, we will be in a hurry to give generously. And that's his, that's his point. 
So he starts with this promise, chapter six, or verse 6. He says, whoever sows bountifully is going to reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 10, he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, credible promise, listen to this, with an ear to the promise, you will be enriched in every way. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through you will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul is just gushing with the promises of God. Now, what I want to do really briefly this morning is I'm going to give you three of them that he talks about here, giving promises or truth about this thing called financial generosity or a cheerful giver. I'm going to give you three of them. Here we go. I'm going to start in verse 6 again. Paul says this, an axiom, a truth, an agricultural reality, farmers get this, we're in East Tennessee, most of you get this. Verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Truth number one, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. That's true on the incredible positive end and talk about giving. That's true in the lifestyle end. Ultimately, we're going to reap what we sow. It's called the law of the harvest. It's very clear. Farmers get it. So I've got seed in my hand. I've been entrusted with this seed. Here's what I can do with that seed. I can keep that seed, which you would say to a farmer, that's, that's ridiculous. For, for a farmer to come and harvest and go, there's no harvest here. Well, where's your seed? I kept it. Uh... Farming 101, pal, says if you don't sow the seed, you're not going to get a harvest. So Paul takes this illustration. He says, okay, you reap what you sow. The law of the harvest also teaches this, though. We reap what we sow. You sow corn, you're going to get corn. You sow pumpkins, you're going to get pumpkins. You, you sow, we, we also reap later than we sow. No farmer takes the seed and throws it down the ground and goes, okay, come on now. Let's go. Where is it? Farmer sows it. Fertile soil walks away and trusts the law of the harvest to take effect that that seed is going to produce a crop. Paul says it's the same way in giving. God's entrusted to us. He's placed money in our hands. He's placed resources in our hands. And there's that moment where we have to let it go. It's, it's kind of nerve-wracking to say, God, I got all this money here. Here's what I can do with it. Say, so listen, law of the harvest. Sow that seed. What you sow, you're going to reap. When you sow, you're going to reap later than you sow. And watch this. Also, the law of the harvest says we always reap more than we sow. Always. I mean, you got this little seed here, and you take that little seed, and you put it in the ground. It gives this bumper crop, this harvest of crop, a lot more than what you put in the ground. That's absolutely true in the area of financial giving. God is saying the law of the harvest is true. You will reap later than you sow. You'll reap what you sow, and you'll reap much more than what you ever sowed. Why? Because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. The element of faith here is striking. Man, I want us to get it this morning that when you give, why do you give? 
And there's a lot to that. It's not necessarily a quick, simple answer. But here Paul is saying, we give as motivated by the abundant promises of God. When you sow, you're going to reap. When you sow, you're going to reap more than you've ever sown. You can even imagine Jesus taught this principle. Luke chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. Jesus taught and said this, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. It will be pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured back into your lap. What does that mean? There was a picture of a farmer in that day who had sown his grain. He didn't have any grain left. He went to the storehouse and he was given so much back in return. You know, they wore like robes in that day. He, he tried to carry it all in his robe and his lap and he couldn't even carry it all. He had given and God had given him more back than he could even carry. Jesus taught this. At the end of Luke 6.38, he says, The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Are you trusting the promises of God? Giving truth, number one, we reap what we sow. Number two, look at verse 7. Paul says this, not only that, not only the law of the harvest that we can apply to this area called giving. He says, verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Incredible freedom here. Paul's not throwing down a rule. Paul's not throwing down a law. He says each person is to, in response to the promises of God, give as you've decided in your heart. Not reluctantly. We'll talk about that in a minute. Not under compulsion. We'll talk about that in a minute. And here at the end of verse 7, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving promise number two. Giving truth number two. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, and notice here, God doesn't say He loves giving. <laughs> you understand, God is not in heaven really hoping and wanting you to give because if Mike Lauren doesn't give, the kingdom just comes to a grinding halt. Right? We get that. God does not need anything. God is never instructed to this to us because He lacks anything. God has full abundance. The storehouses of heaven are not running dry at all. And they're not dependent, if you will, upon your giving. God is talking about something much bigger here. God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful denotes a happy, glad, cheerful state of mind. The word love is agape, divine love. What does that mean? I mean, God loves the world, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Yes, there's this general type love, undeserved love God has for the world. John 13, when he's with his disciples, he said, and there's even a greater love, I have the love for my disciples to the full. There's a unique, special love God has for his people. Then here it says, get this, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. What does this mean? God's love is completely undeserved. We do nothing to merit God's love. What does this mean? John MacArthur helps us. He says this, God has a unique special love for those who are happily committed to generous giving. The word cheerful suggests that God loves a heart that is enthusiastically thrilled with the pleasure of giving. I want you to think about this for a minute because this is very important for you and me as our motivating factor behind we give. God lacks nothing. God needs nothing. God desires not that we give because he loves the act of giving. God is concerned about our heart. And here's what God loves. Ready? God, God loves it when you and I depend on him. He loves it. 
giving from a heart of cheerfulness and a heart of trust, believing, God, I'm going to trust you for the return. God, I'm going to give, trusting you to give back more than I could even imagine. God, I'm going to give to you because it's an act of dependence. The Bible teaches God loves it when we depend on Him. And giving is to be a demonstration of a cheerful heart that is glad to give because God is the great giver and lacks nothing. You see, you have to, you have to understand, it does not say God loves giving. It does not say God gives. God loves certain amounts. It does not say God loves certain percentages. You understand, God is never impressed by an amount that we give. Everybody okay with that? The heart is always the issue. God is not impressed by amounts. God is not impressed. God, is, God desires. God loves, according to this verse, a heart that depends on Him. And giving can be a demonstration of our dependence on Him. And watch this. Giving can guide your heart to learn greater dependence on Him. That's the point. God's not impressed by amounts. God is focused on the heart. You say, how do you know that for sure? There's a story over in Mark chapter 12. I won't take time to turn there. Jesus, it says, is in the temple. All these people are coming in. Evidently, the temple, there was this place called the treasury. They all would bring their bags of giving in. And the Bible says this. I'm going to read it to you really quick. Mark 12, 41. Jesus sat opposite of the treasury and began observing how the people were putting their money into the treasury. Stop right there. Did you get that? That means when the people came in to give, the treasury's right here. And you know who was sitting right beside the treasury? Jesus. <laughs> It'd be like this afternoon or in just a few minutes when we take up the offering, the usher is Jesus. That might change your giving a little bit, right? Well, oh, come on, man. You do a little bit better than that. I don't have any more in my wallet. I know what's in your wallet, man. I'm Jesus. He knows. So it might change your... So Jesus is sitting there opposite the treasury. Now watch this. And many rich people were putting in large sums of money. All these rich people were coming in with these heaping bags of money. Everybody in the temple looked around. Hey, look at that. Watch. Jesus flips it upside down. Jesus' economy does not work like mine or yours. He says, verse 42, A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. This little widow comes in. She doesn't have a bag. She doesn't have a backpack. She doesn't have a wallet. She has two cents. Ding. Ding. Everybody kind of looked around. How does Jesus respond? What's this? Verse 43. Calling his disciples to him. All these rich guys have come in and given all this money. And again, there's nothing wrong with being rich and giving generously. That's not the point here. The point's the heart. This little lady comes in and puts down two little coins. And Jesus says, hold up, guys, Peter, John, Matthew, come down. You've got to see this. And they come running down and they think it's going to be this big lavish giver. And they say, did you see that little widow? Uh, yeah, you mean the one that gave two cents? We saw it, Jesus. Listen, guys, you need to learn something. Here's the principle. Jesus says this. Truly, I say to you, that poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. What? For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty, she put in all that she owned, all she had to live on. And here's Jesus, the God man saying, and I love it. Why? Because he's saying, I love when people depend and trust in me more than their money. 
God loves. Man, as followers of Christ, that ought to be such motivation to you and me. Jesus said, I love when you depend on me more than your money. God loves a cheerful giver. We'll reap what we sow. God loves a cheerful giver. Third giving truth, very quickly, verse 8. This is so rich, so good. Verse 8, Paul continues, and he, he knows our tendency. Our tendency, when we think about giving and being generous, our tendency is to first look at our own resources and think, okay, God, here's my limited resources. And Paul says, hold on. First, start not with your resources. Turn your attention to God. He says, verse 8, and God is able... If you write in your Bible or you circle a statement, God is able, circle that, mark that. God is able. The word able means the power, the capacity to the ability. God is able. It's in the present tense, meaning he has a continuous capacity and ability, a ceaseless flow. God is able. In other words, the tendency, again, look to my own resources. Look to me. Turn your attention to the God who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, the God who owns everything from the beginning to the end, who holds the universe in its place. God is not lacking anything. God is able to fully keep his promise. And Paul says, now follow with me, and God is able to make all grace abound. The word grace here, most commentators fully believe, is referring to monetary return. That God, you can say it this way, God has full capacity. God has unlimited capacity to abundantly replenish what we give to Him. The farmer with his seed is thinking, okay, I have to be careful because this is all I have. The farmer who sows realizes, okay, I'm going to sow it all. I'm believing the law of the harvest. We give with an eye to the fact that your heavenly Father has no limits. He lacks nothing. And he has full capacity and willingness to always keep his promise. He, he promises to abundantly replenish, verse 8. There, he also says, so that having all sufficiency in all things, God is able to give you all sufficiency. What does that mean? The word sufficiency in that day, if you were hearing that, you would, your mind would immediately go to the way that word was used in that day. In that day, the word sufficiency was used in that culture to be the goal of every person. The idea was, if I can get to independence, self-sufficiency, I can depend on only myself, that will be the place of full contentment, that I'm not relying on anybody. And Paul says, hang on. That idea of independence and self-sufficiency was a lie in that culture, and it's a lie in our culture. He says, listen, God is able to give you that full contentment of heart, and it flows from a heart that is trusting Him, and He floods your life. He is able to fully replenish. Listen, and He is able to bring health to your soul. A full contentment. Listen, you don't have to be on the rat race very long to realize Another Amazon purchase, another Amazon purchase, another Amazon purchase might not be a bad thing at all. Hear my heart. But if we get on the, we get on the mousetrap of thinking 
contentment and satisfaction is on the other side of that next purchase, we realize it never ends. And God, listen, God promises to you and to me. I am able and willing and fully capable to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, all contentment, rest of soul, in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You need to understand God has rigged this thing called giving. It's about a whole lot more than just your wallet. You get that? It's about our very heart being a place of contentment before the Lord. He says, I'm able to, verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. He says, I promise I'll multiply your resources. He says, I will increase your harvest. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. I mean, the words Paul using here is such a hyperbole and such a metaphor. He's just dripping. He can't even come up with words enough to say, God is a lavish giver. You can I almost see in Paul's mind, he's trying to destroy this myth that many of us have that God is a miser. I mean, I grew up, I'll just be honest, I grew up with a grandfather who I knew was extremely a miser. He hated giving money. He kept all of his money like this. If you went to his house on a cold, wintry day, it was cold and no lights were on because he didn't want to pay the light bill. And I had that mind. That was a miser. Some of us think that's the way God operates. Okay. Boop, beep. I'll just, God, no. Paul says, Lavish. Lavish. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. He gives us greater capacity to grow in our generosity and the joy that comes from it, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, for the ministry of this service not only meets the needs of the saints, also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. In other words, by our giving, the needs of people are met. By our giving, God is glorified. God's glorified. Because it turns it around and realizes we're not the source. Ultimately, He's the source. He's the generous one. And God gets the glory. Listen. And I'm telling you, I, I've read this passage so many times in my life. I mean, just like you, some of you have this thing memorized. You, this week, as I read this, it's like it came alive like never before. And I began to even ask myself, why do, we, why do I even give? I don't give out of rules. I don't give out of compulsion. I don't give because somebody told me how to give. Give based on the lavish promises of God. I mean, this language is just dripping with blessing that God has for those who will depend and trust in Him. So, brief time we have remaining. Let's get really practical about this. Okay, God, I, I see all this. I hear all this. Man, this is challenging. I, I hope it's challenging. If you've been a Christian for 40 years, you've been a Christian for four weeks, and you're learning this whole thing about generous giving, I hope it challenges every one of us where we are. Practice of giving. Okay, I'm going to ask a few questions. Verse 7. Paul says this very practically. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, what does it look like? How, what's the practice of giving? I want to ask a few questions. Number one, who is Paul talking to? He's talking to every believer. He says, each one. 
This is for all of us, pastor alike, new believer alike. He says each one, the pattern of God's people throughout Scripture has always been to a lot of portion back to God, to walk in dependence on God. God is inviting every single believer to know the rich blessings there are by being a cheerful giver. That's who he's talking to. Okay, I, I, I get that, but now how? What's to be my manner of giving? What does that look like? Well, he says it. He says, each one must decide. The word decide ultimately has a lot of different nuances to it. One is the idea is it's, it's an issue between you and the Lord. The word decide has the idea of a predetermined plan to it. In other words, Paul is talking very specifically here that this type of giving that he's talking about is to be planned and systematic, not impulsive and sporadic. There's a place for sporadic giving. There's a place for a need comes up and says, man, I'm going to give. But here he's talking about through the local church to meet those needs, determine a plan of your faithful giving. What we don't plan doesn't happen. That's true for me. So for my family, we work it into our budget just like any other thing. The first thing we pay, honor the Lord first, comes out of our budget. We recognize that first. There's a plan. We try to stick to that plan throughout the year to honor God. Paul says each one must purposefully determine in his heart. He also says it's to be consistent. There's a pattern. 1 Corinthians 16. I won't go there. You can look it up on your own. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. He says on a weekly basis there'll be a collection taken at the church. Why do we take up an offering at this church like we do? Because it's outlined in 1 Corinthians 16 as a model, a consistent plan to give. God lays that out. He says, now don't give reluctantly. Remember, God's worried about your heart. God's not worried. God's concerned about your heart. He's not worried about the amounts. He says, don't give reluctantly. Well, what does that word mean? Well, the word reluctantly or grudgingly means sorrow, grief, pain, remorse, regret, reluctance. It's the idea of, okay, I heard that passage by Pastor Mike. I know I'm supposed to give. I'm going to pull out my wallet. Here's the money. Take it. Oh. And the whole time you're thinking this, man, what I could really be doing with that money. That's a hard issue. It's a hard issue that says, God, I'm going to trust you with this money because I know you have the capacity, the willingness, and you are able to multiply this money much more than I ever could. I'm giving it out of dependence on you. Not reluctantly. Don't be a sad giver. God is not honored by sad givers. He says don't give out of compulsion. Compulsion's external pressure, coercion. God is not honored by a people-pleasing giver. Pastor Mike told me I better give. Somebody better check my giving records. I'm under this pressure. Okay, I'm going to give out of compulsion. God's not honored by that. God says you give from a cheerful heart full of joy, responding to the lavish grace of God, trusting the promises of God. God says that's how you're to give he said in view of all these promises so the question comes to mind and you're sitting there asking the question okay pastor mike then how much do i give and the answer has to be given between you and god watch this now in light of the promises of god when you're determining what to give through the local church on a regular basis, we'll talk about other means of giving in just a second. Give in light of the promises of God. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When you give, it becomes eternal reward. 
Paul said, give that you may take hold of that which is life indeed, rather than a false life or a fake life. True life. Jesus said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Paul said, sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Proverbs says, the generous man will prosper. Jesus said, God, or Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. Paul said, and God will generously provide all you need. You'll be enriched in every area of your life. And Jesus Christ said, it is better to give than to receive. Before God, as an act of trust and an act of worship, if we got our minds around these promises, here would be our question. God, how much do I get to give? How much do I get to give? Chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, that's what those believers were asking. He said they were begging him for the privilege of giving. In light of of the lavish, abounding promises of God. Now, two final questions and we're done. How much should I give? Paul says each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Say, Pastor Mike, what about the tithe? Group in church, we've heard the tithe. The tithe is a 10%. You started at a 10%. What, is it, what do we believe about that? What do we hold to that? Paul doesn't mention the tithe here, and there's a reason he doesn't mention the tithe here. Personal conviction, fueled by Scripture, here's what we believe about the tithe. The tithe has been given. The tithe was given primarily in the Old Testament. The tithe is now. It was never given. Watch this. It was never given as the goal. It was always given as a guide. The tithe is given as a guide and a starting point for my giving and your giving. Randy Alcorn says this, Tithing is not the ceiling of giving, giving it's merely the floor of giving. But is for many people the single most first step in transforming your attitude and action concerning money and possessions. We believe, we teach that the tithe is a starting point. Say, okay, God, I have all this. I'm going to start with 10%. I'm going to give that back to you. But a beautiful illustration, Randy Alcorn, this book, Treasure Principle, I encourage you to check it out. It's for sale out here. says this. When my kids were young, they wanted to learn to ride a bike. They didn't know how to ride a bike. And you can't take a kid and just put them on a bike and say, okay, go for it and hope it works out. What's going to happen? Crash and burn, right? They don't know how to go. They, don't, they need a guide. So what do you do? You take something called, you've heard this before, training wheels. You put training wheels on the side of that bike. It's a guide. And it holds them up. They're learning. You give them a push. There they go. They get better and they get better and they get better. My, put them on as a six-year-old. Now, if my son is 17 years old and he's still riding around the driveway and his training wheels are on the bike, there's a problem. There comes a time when you take those training wheels and you throw them aside. You don't go backwards. You exceed that and you walk in the freedom of riding that bike with the joy of it and the lavish joy. That's the point. God says, listen, you want a place to start? You want a guide? It's the tithe. Start there. But grow out of that till the tithe is not restrictive. Listen, a lot of Christians hide behind the tithe. God says, trust me, sow generously and reap generously. So here's the challenge for some of you in this room. Some of you, when it comes to giving, here's what needs to happen. You simply need to put your training wheels on. 
you're new to this, you don't really know what it means, you're trying to figure all that out, you want to honor the promises of God, you want to trust God, God's given us a guide. Start with a 10%. You decide in your heart between you and the Lord. It's a guide. Some of us who have been at this quite a while need to say, Lord, I'm going to walk in faith and trust. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the training wheels off. And I'm going to learn to give generously and lavishly. And I'm going to far exceed that for one reason, God. I trust you to keep your promises. Our giving is motivated because God always keeps his promises. I'm going to ask our team to come on up on stage and just to kind of begin to play soft. I'm going to ask you right there where you're seated for a moment. I just want you to do business with God right there in your seat. No pressure, no compulsion. I hope you hear even a passion in my own heart that this is such an important area for us. It's so much more than just about money. This is our soul, our lives, our joy. God being glorified through our lives in this area. I don't want you to miss it. And I long for us to be a church that so depends on God that all of us, this is my church home, all of us give generously because we're trusting God. The Bible seems to indicate the pattern of the early church. first place that those believers gave was through their local church. Man, there are a ton of great ministries out there. I give to other ministries, but I personally and my family, our first place is here. We believe in what God's doing here. We believe in the local church. We've had the privilege of giving lavishly through this church. We give other places, but here first. And our giving is motivated by the promises of God. So in a spirit of prayer, a spirit of just responding, I want to ask you to bow your head right there where you're seated before the Lord. And here's my question for you. Are you a cheerful giver? Are you a cheerful giver? Are you a reluctant giver? It's a heart issue. Are you a mad giver? You're giving, but somebody told you to. You really don't want to. It's, this, it's a heart issue. Are you looking for a place to start in this maybe this new journey with the Lord or you've struggled in that area? Man, this is such an area of priority. When we get this area right, so many other areas fall in line in our lives. Listen. Are you here and you're hiding behind the tithe? I don't think the tithe was ever given as the goal. It's a guide. In response to the lavish grace of God, man, we want to leave those training wheels behind and go in the grace of God. So right there before the Lord, our team's going to sing over us in just a minute. We're going to stand and sing together in just a minute. I want you to respond to God right there in your seat. Is there one action step, one heart condition, one thing that you will walk out of here, like the Bible says, having decided in your heart, God, here's the step for me. God, here's the point of response for my family. God loves it when we depend on Him. Father, we praise You. God, help us to grow in grace and trust, joy in giving. 
And God, let this church be a lavish, generous people. Ultimately, that you receive great glory here in our community, to the ends of the earth. People are able to say, praise God. Through the generosity of those people in East Tennessee. We love you.